Welcome to the Susquehanna Valley Baptist Pulpit, preaching a life worth living, abundant life in Christ. And now the message. Our theme this morning is maintaining good works. Our theme verse is going to be Titus 3.8, but I'm going to begin at the beginning of the book because I need to lay some groundwork as to where we find Titus. Titus, of course, is an understudy of the Apostle Paul, and Paul is writing to Titus. <clears throat> it is one of the pastoral epistles uh, written from a pastoral perspective, uh, probably written around 65 A.D. We don't; These books are not dated in the original text, of course. And uh, it, it uh, talks about Paul's um, uh, ministry uh, in Crete. And he evidently spent some time there <clears throat> after ministering in Ephesus and Macedonia. Uh, we're not given that information in the scriptures, of course. And he had been a visitor to the Isle of Crete uh, on his voyage to Rome. But Titus is left now in charge of the ministry of uh, ministry to Crete. So I'm not going to read the whole book, but we're going to skip around here a little bit. Let's begin reading at the chapter 1. Paul, a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth, which is after godliness. Right away we have a theme for the book, godliness. And you can divide the three chapters, godliness uh, in the, um, not home, the godliness in the church. Let me make sure I got my outline right here. I uh, got it written down here somewhere. Uh, yes, godliness in the church, chapter 1. Godliness in the home, chapter 2. And then Godliness in the World, chapter 3. Um, <clears throat> so Godliness, verse 2. In hope of eternal life which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested His word through preaching. How did He manifest His word in due time? Through preaching. I don't understand that. I like it because God called me to be a preacher. I like that part, but I don't understand how preaching is going to transform the world. But that's God's plan. That's why you need to be in church. Under the preaching of the Word of God. It's God's plan. Hath in due time manifested His Word through preaching, which is committed unto me, according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this cause left I thee in Crete, and Crete was an island out in the Mediterranean Sea, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting. So we see that there are some things out of order. Evidently, Paul did not finish the job. It was Paul's pattern, you watch it through the book of Acts, to go into a, a place, a village, preach the gospel, and he did his first tour and went through certain cities, and then he came back through those same cities. And he established those churches and ordained elders. That's what he says here in verse number five. So one of the things that was out of order is they didn't have any elders. And ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. And then he goes on to talk about the qualifications for the uh, elder. We find that, of course, in, in Timothy as well. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he did the same thing. And uh, as you probably ought to know, uh, that good Baptists believe that uh, elder, pastor, bishop is the same person. Now, I personally believe in a plurality of elders. The Bible does have a plurality here. 
And so at our church, Pastor Amonzo is the senior pastor. I'm his assistant, but we have a plurality of, of uh, pastors. And I did that when we were at Heritage, and Pastor Starnes was my assistant. And then uh, we had <clears throat> other men who were deacons. And so the elders called uh, so in verse number five. He's also called a bishop in verse number seven. And the word pastors, the one we use the most in our modern day, but it's the least one used in the scriptures. But those three uh, titles uh, talk about the same person. The elder talks about his spiritual maturity. The bishop talks about his spiritual management. The word bishop is episkopos, which means to be an overseer. And then the word pastor is his spiritual ministry, which is, of course, shepherding the sheep. I'm going to skip those qualifications for the deacon. Not that they're not important, but we'll uh, skip them for the sake of time. Verse number um, 14 in chapter 1. Not giving heed to, to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. We'll talk some about that as we get into chapter 3. Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled... And unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and their conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him. When we get to chapter 3, we're going to talk about maintaining good works. But in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. But speak thou the things which become Sound doctrine. That's going to be important. Sound doctrine. Paul was concerned that the church in the Isles, the churches in the Isle of Crete would be founded on sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is important. Now, this chapter has always been interesting to me because Paul starts out, he's going to speak, tell Titus to speak the things that become sound doctrine, and then he's going to talk about practical stuff. He's going to talk about how the aged men ought to be sober and grave and temperate and sound in faith and charity and, and patience and the aged women likewise. And then he's going to address the young men in verse number six. And all of that is some practical stuff about how the older men and women are to teach the younger men and women about how to live. Sound doctrine? Yeah, it's based on sound doctrine. That's the principle. You, Paul wrote his epistles. Most of his epistles are written with a section about doctrine and then a section about practical living. So your practical living ought to be based on sound doctrine. Why do you do what you do? Because the Bible teaches a certain way. And then drop down to verse number 7 in chapter 2. In all things, showing thyself... Paul told Titus this, showing thyself a pattern of good works. You and I ought to be a pattern of good works. And then what are the next two words? In what? Doctrine. Wait a minute. A pattern of good works in doctrine. So we're back to doctrine again. See the importance of doctrine? Showing uncorruptness and gravity and sincerity and so forth. And then it's to... Uh, exhort servants in verse number 9. Look up verse number 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. Okay, grace of God appeared to how many men? All men. Everybody has the opportunity to receive the gospel 
teaching us, this grace of God teaches us that denying ungodliness, remember his theme was godliness, so we're going to deny ungodliness, and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. Now notice this next phrase, zealous of good works. Zealous of good works. A pattern of good works, 2.7. Zealous of good works, 2.14. And then Paul continues in verse number, or chapter 3, put them in mind. So be reminded of things. There's a lot of things you know as a believer, as a Bible student, but you need to be put in mind about them. Put them in mind to be subject unto principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every what? Good work again. To speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, no, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, Deceived, serving diverse lusts and, and pleasures, living in the malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness. OK, hold on a minute now. He said, I want you to be a pattern of good works. I want you to be zealous of good works. I want you to be ready to every good work. But not of works. Is there a contradiction? Oh, there's a contradiction in the Bible. We might as well forget it. No, there's no contradictions in the Bible. The contradiction is between your two ears. All right. Amen. Between my two ears. All right. That's where the contradiction is, because we don't understand an infinite, miraculous God we talked about in Sunday school. Amen. So not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Well, I thought that's what he's going to talk about in this book. Works. In works, they deny him. Paul or Titus, I want you to be a pattern of good works. I want you to be zealous of good works. I want you to be ready to do every good work, but not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Amen. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Lord, that being justified by his grace, justified by what? Grace, not works, right? We are not made righteous by our works. A works mentality. Nope. And we don't keep ourselves saved by good works. What are you talking about here? Why are we going to maintain good works then? What's the importance of that? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things will I, I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. Who's supposed to maintain the good works? They that believe in God. Faith comes first. You trust Christ by faith. You're justified by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We trust Christ, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by His grace He saved us. Amen. But we as Christians are to maintain good works. Not to keep our salvation. Not to make ourselves favorable with God. Hebrews eleven six doesn't say without good works it is impossible to please God. It says what? By 
faith it is impossible. Without faith it is impossible to please God. But good works is good. We're to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men, but avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. I want to speak this morning about how to maintain good works. And we're going to look at these verses beginning in chapter 3 and verse number 8. Be careful to maintain good works. Well, how do you maintain good works? The first thing is to affirm sound doctrine. Verse 8 says, This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly. Paul, of course, writing to Titus, setting things in order to be based on sound doctrine. Set things in order by sound doctrine. Things are out of order in church. Things are out of order in home. You need to set them in order by sound doctrine. You need to believe right where you're going to get your belief from. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And this is to be done constantly. Constantly. When pastor gets up here to preach, he's affirming that doctrine constantly. Maybe you heard it last week. Maybe you heard it a year ago. Those of you who sat under my ministry, maybe you heard it, my goodness, 12 years ago. Where does time get to? Or longer. Okay? Uh, But we are affirming it again this morning. Why? Because we're forgetful. We need to be reminded. And we need to maintain good works. How do you maintain your house? How do you maintain your car? How do you maintain anything that uh, needs to be maintained? You, you do maintenance. That's not uh, using the word to describe itself, but you change the oil. You replace parts that are loose. You um, clean. How do you maintain good works? Can you make some applications? There's some cleaning. There's some. Now you can't replace your body. All right. You can replace your thinking. What does the Bible call it in Romans 12? The renewing of your mind. Because as we brush shoulders with the world, we come in contact with the philosophies of the world. The tendency is for us to think like the world. I'm amazed how much evolution is a part of our thinking. I'm not just talking about science. I'm talking about theology and everything else we do. Because we've thrown God out of the picture. We know we're here where we are today. We got here because we evolved or because we uh, had the experience. Well, the only reason that you have the experience is because God allowed you to have that experience. Put God back into the picture. Don't throw him out. Don't take him out. Affirm that sound doctrine. Go back and confirm it again and again and again and again. Uh, There are things to be reminded of. 
You know, we, we can get to the place where, oh, right, I heard that before. But we need to come to, to church and, and understand that even though we heard it before, we need to be reminded of it. I mean, we, we say amen when the preacher says something that we agree with, that the Bible agrees. That's what we ought to do, not just because we agree with it, because the Bible agrees with it. That's why we ought to say amen. Uh, and we've, we, we know it. We say amen because we already know it. Uh, not because we're learning it for the first time. I know our, our pastor, I maybe said this before to you, he, he preaches in such a fashion that uh, he makes me think. He makes me question. Is that what the Bible says? And I go back and look. At, yeah. He doesn't say it the way I say it. Or maybe the way Pastor Starn says it. But it's the word of God. And we need to be thinking. And looking at what the preacher saying, Listening to what the preacher saying, And looking at the word of God. And making sure we're following sound doctrine. So the first way to maintain good works is to affirm sound doctrine. Now part of doing that is going to be the second step. You're going to avoid unsound doctrine. One of the ways that you affirm sound doctrine is to avoid unsound doctrine. Now Paul's been talking about that in his book. Verse number, well, let's see. Let's go back to chapter 1 when he's talking about the bishop. All right. Um, Go back to chapter 1, verse 9. He says, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, this is a qualification for the bishop, that he may be able by sound doctrine. Where do you get your sound doctrine? From the faithful word both to exhort and to convince the gainsayer. I like to think of the gainsayer as somebody that wants to gain something by what he says. The Bible tells us that the love of money, not money, but the love of money is the root of all evil. And so somebody who wants to gain by what he's saying is after money, ultimately. Be careful of the gainsayer who wants to gain something. We don't need to gain anything by what we say. We need to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ by what we say. And so part of the pastor's job is to exhort and to convince the gainsayer. How does he do that? By his marvelous words? No, by sound doctrine. That's what the verse says. Holding fast the faithful word, first of all, as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine to exhort and to convince the gainsayer. Then he explains verse number 10, for there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. Now he's talking about Jewish folks there, but you know, we could apply that to any group. All right. There's always those people in our midst who are unruly and vain talkers and deceivers. Again, just don't think about them. Think about us. You and I can be so easily deceived. 
If we're deceived, we're going to deceive others. We need to be careful. Uh, we can be unruly. We can be vain and empty in our talk if it's not based upon the word of God. Whose mouths, verse 11 says, must be stopped. Who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not to not for filthy lucre's sake. There's that money business. And then he gives an example of one of them. Verse number 12. Verse 13 says, this witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. You rebuke them with the word of God, not with your mouth. The preacher doesn't say, oh, shut up. He tells the truth about God's word. No, what you're teaching is not true because the Bible says, and that's how you rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in faith. That's our goal. We want everybody to be sound in faith. And then he says in verse 14, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Again, we can have a lot of different fables. For instance, there's a passage, I forget which chapter it is, in the book of Ezekiel, it talks about an issue of blood. And uh, people will say, well, if you have an issue of blood, you need to, I forget how it goes, but uh, when I was in West Virginia, they believed in this. That is an old wives' fable. You need to refute that with the word of God by teaching what Ezekiel, I think it's chapter 16, uh, actually does say and uh, teaching the truth about that, uh, that, that uh, they're not giving heed to, to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. See, what's what our, our way of thinking is a turning from the truth. And then we come over here to uh, <clears throat> chapter 2, verse number 12, which we already read, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, uh, and godly in this present world, looking for the blessed hope. There's some misconceptions uh, and teachings about the blessed hope. And then <clears throat> down in chapter Three, verse three, well, let's ver read verse two. To speak evil of no man, to, to be no brawler, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, <clears throat> disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. So the false teachers will do uh, these kinds of things. Verse 9 says, but avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A lot of things that could fit into that category. You might have somebody, well, where did Cain get his wife? Adam and Eve had sons or had, uh, yeah, Cain and Abel. Where did Cain and 
get his wife? Frivolous question. I think the answer is that Adam and Eve had more than just Cain and Abel. Yeah, he married his sister. Otherwise, you're going to have to come up with something of your imagination that there were other people on the earth and now you're disbelieving the Bible. Foolish questions. Be careful of foolish questions. Now the question may not be foolish itself, but usually that question is asked by somebody who's trying to undermine the Bible. Okay, so foolish questions. Avoid them. Avoid genealogies. Does that mean we shouldn't go on whatever those websites are and find your genealogical table and all that sort of thing? No, I don't think that's what it's talking about. I think it's talking about the study of genealogy because, oh, you're in this line. It doesn't matter what line you're in. By the grace of God, you can be what God wants you to be. You don't have to be what your genealogy tells you you are. Okay? If you're royal, if you're poor, if whatever, it doesn't matter. Okay? But they're, they're studying these genealogies because uh, they think that's the way it is. There's some teaching among Christians today that because your parents or your grandparents did something, that that curse is now on you. Baloney! That's only on you because you do it. Now, there is a principle in the Bible about the, to the fifth generation. Okay? And I understand that. But that does not automatically mean that because your parent or your grandparent or somebody down the line behind you was wicked and immoral, that that is now passed upon. You're a sinner because you are a sinner. All right. Yes, the Bible does talk about the son eating the sour grapes and the or the father eating the sour grapes and the son's teeth being set on edge. Yes, the principle is there because we learn from our parents. Okay. But it does not mean that we are eternally cursed because of somebody else's sin. We sin because we are sinners. So be careful of these foolish genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law. You and I can strive about the law. Should we worship? Should we celebrate Christmas or not? We could have a church split over that. Paul is saying that is foolishness. Avoid it. If you don't believe that you ought to celebrate Christmas, bless God, don't celebrate Christmas. If somebody else believes they ought to, and I believe they ought to. Now, I don't do it in church so much. I mean, Christmas tree in church. But if a church has a Christmas tree, that's their business. It's not my business. Okay. Uh, And if I want to have one in my home, that's my business. It's not your business. That is a striving and a contention about the law. Lots and lots and lots of things. First Corinthians or Second Corinthians, I forget my first and seconds mixed up. Chapter eight, I believe it is. The eating of meat offered to idols. Okay, well, I don't think you ought to eat that meat that's offered to idols, because that was offered to a pagan god. Paul said everything is given for your edification. That meat is not wicked in itself. So 
What do you do? But he said, I won't eat meat for my brother's sake. Lots of things that fall into that category, broad category of contentions and strivings about the law. Avoidance of unsound doctrine. Then he goes on in verse number 10 to say that a man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject. Now, notice Paul has been talking about sound doctrine. He started out the book that way. He started chapter 2 that way. Sound doctrine. He repeated it over and over again. Sound doctrine. If it's in the book, it needs to be in your life. A heretic is somebody who teaches what's not in the book. What does he say to do with a heretic? Admonish him once. Admonish him twice. A man that is an heretic after the first and the second admonition reject. I take it this way. Three strikes and you're out. Reject. Knowing that he that is of such is, a, is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. And so avoid unsound doctrine. We're talking about maintaining good works. Maintaining good works. Not maintaining good works to keep our salvation. We are saved by grace through faith. And I might say from our human perspective, by grace through faith alone. Not of works. And so if we're saved by grace through faith, we are kept by grace through faith. We're not kept by works. There are some people who believe, well, okay, I believe that you're saved by grace through faith, but you need to keep yourself saved. If you do something that God doesn't like, you're going to lose your salvation. That's not in the Bible. Now be careful of this once saved, always saved philosophy that some people have. Okay? And I don't think Paul was teaching this, but people think this. People think Paul was teaching this. Okay, once saved, always saved. I'm saved. I can do anything I want to. No. Maintaining good works. We're not allowed to do whatever we want to do. We're allowed to do whatever God wants us to do. That's freedom, by the way. The freedom to do what you ought to do. So step number one to maintain good works is to affirm sound doctrine. Step number two is to avoid unsound doctrine. Step number three is to admonish the heretic. And we've been talking about that. Admonish the heretic. Those that continue to teach unsound doctrine. And then there's one more way to maintain good works. And that would be to approve the faithful labors. That's basically Paul's conclusion to the book, verses 12 through 15. He says, when I shall send Artemis unto thee, or Tychicus, to diligent, uh, be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis, for I have determined there to winter. We're talking in these couple of verses about some faithful labors. Paul often did this at the end of his book. He listed a group of people, men and women, that were faithful helpers and laborers together with him. And so I'm going to give you three things that 
you do to approve the faithful lawyer, laborers. One, be diligent. Be diligent. There are a lot of Christians today who are lazy. We need to be diligent. You need to be diligent in your church. You need to be diligent in your home. You need to be diligent at work. I know the boss only requires you to do this, but you need to go the extra mile. Didn't Jesus talk about the extra mile, Christian? Didn't he talk about when he asked for your, I forget the story how it goes, when he asked for your shirt, give him your coat. Go the extra mile. Be diligent. Be diligent. Be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis, for I have determined there to winter. Bring Zinius, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey diligently. Bring on their journey. Bring forward. That's the second thing. Be diligent. Bring forward. Missionary comes into your presence. Bring them forward. The idea is to exalt them. The Bible teaches us to exalt another man, not ourselves. We are so interested in exalting ourselves. What about me? What do I get out of this? Bring others forward. Bring Xenius, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey diligently. It means pay for their journey. It might even be transport them. Okay, bring them. And you might say, well, I don't, I don't like Xenius. I don't quite get along with Apollos. They can pay their own way. You know, they can get there themselves. No, the Bible says bring them. Bring forward fellow laborers. That nothing be wanting unto them. Meet their every need. That's what God does for us, by the way. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We have everything we want because the Lord is my shepherd. If you're going to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to provide for others so that they will not want. Okay, now again, apply biblical principles to that. Verse number 14, and let ours also learn to maintain good works. Oh, there it is again. For necessity and necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. What's the opposite of being unfruitful? Be fruitful. So you got three things there about how to approve faithful labors. Be diligent, verse 12. Bring forward, verse number 13. And be fruitful, verse number 14. All that, again, tied into sound doctrine. You and I are fruitful when we are faithful to sound doctrine. Amen. Maintain good works, not to earn your salvation, not to keep your salvation, but just because it's right to do good works. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us, please write us at P.O. Box 126-541, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 17112. And visit our website at www.svbcpa.org. Until next time.